0: Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to convocation. My name is Quinn Brennicky. I'm a senior interdisciplinary studies and public relations double major. And this morning I have the honor of introducing our speaker, Steve Thomas. In light of Sexual Violence Awareness Week, Steve's message is particularly relevant. His presentation entitled Personal Violence, What Would You Do If? will address responses to personal violence, making a case for the use of nonviolent, assertive force in resisting violence. Thomas is a graduate of Heston College, Goshen College, and Anabaptist Mennonite Seminary, where he earned his Master's of Divinity. Thomas has served as a Mennonite pastor for the past 29 years, and taught as an adjunct professor in the PJCS department for six years here at Goshen College. As a Mennonite and a black belt in Taekwondo, Thomas uses his skills as a MMA Mennonite martial artist to lead peace education programs. He is a co-founder of Pathways Retreat, a spiritual retreat center here in Goshen, where his wife Linda works as a counselor and co-director. In his free time, Thomas takes care of trees as a budding arborist for Pathways Retreat in the city of Goshen. Join me in welcoming Steve Thomas.
1: Well, during this uh, sexual uh, violence awareness week, we want to explore the question, the what would you do question. How many of you have been asked, or have asked the question, well, what would you do if? It's uh, an important question that we uh, want uh, to consider. What would you do if somebody uh, threatened you or a loved one, say with sexual or physical violence? What would you do? The question is often asked uh, assuming that the way of nonviolence doesn't work in the world of real violence, or if you're asked the question, uh, sometimes it's dismissed as a crass hypothetical uh, question. But it's a real question, and as we know during Sexual Violence Awareness Week, it's something that deserves a serious uh, response. Our campus and the community knows too well uh, the experience as we tomorrow will mark the two-year anniversary of Professor James Miller's uh, murder, just a couple blocks uh, from here. A beloved uh, father and husband and biology professor here, uh, James uh, was confronted uh, with this question uh, when an intruder in their home attacked uh, Linda, his wife uh, with a knife, He intervened, this gentle, peace-loving man, as a way of protecting and confronting an aggressor and lost his life in so doing. So it's a question that is very real, painfully real, um, here on our campus as we mark the anniversary of this tomorrow. Years ago as, uh, as head of Women's Concerns Desk for Mennonite Central Committee, Beth Grable um, really took on this question and she asserted that our tradition of non-resistance rather than non-violence has actually helped contribute uh, to violence against women by implicitly um, encouraging women to accept abuse as Christ-like suffering rather than to resist. And as a survivor of sexual assault herself, she asked the question, how does our peace theology uh, look different when we put it in the context of violence against women? And she called for doing theological work experientially in our bodies, as she put it. And that's the work that we've been trying uh, to do, of actually trying to put forward a model of embodied peacemaking, where we Um, get out of our head and into our bodies, and look at uh, nonviolent, even forceful responses to uh, personal uh, violence. Whether it's bullying in in the schools, or violence in our community, violence against women, with the various workshops that we do, this is the work that we've been doing. Well, responding uh, to this question, um, I believe there is a way of really upholding and extending our ethic of nonviolence to real-world violence, and so I want to put forward a model of being assertive, even physically forceful to stop violence that upholds the way of peace. Most religious uh, traditions uh, hold two things. On one hand, uh, the the respect of life in nonviolence, and on the other hand, uh, to to protect life and the duty to respect life. How do these uh, go together? This past year I received an email from a woman by the name of Lucille from South Africa who somehow came across our, our work of Peacemakers Academy. And she made this inquiry wondering as a survivor of sexual assault and as somebody who is a leader in an NGO in South Africa, um, how we do our work. And this is what she said in her letter. What do we do in a country where we have the highest rates of rape and domestic violence? Our women and children are constant targets of predators. Surely we must protect them, but also have some level of empathy for the lost souls who attack us. They, too, have their story. What are our options? I do not believe that fighting violence with violence really works, but I do not believe, says Lucille, that Christ expects us to sit back while our women and children are beaten to death or raped. However, we must not live by the sword. This is a hard thing for me to resolve and why I'm so attracted to your approach with peacemakers. Normal self-defense courses can make you paranoid and unsympathetic to an attacker. I don't want to be someone who has seriously harmed or killed my attacker, but rather to defend myself in a situation if an extreme one arises with a level of empathy for a person who wants to harm me. I don't know if that's possible, but would like to think it is. That's her inquiry. Can you sense the kind of the the dilemma she's struggling with of how to hold these things together? Well, I believe there is a way of protecting ourselves from violence that upholds uh, the way of peace and even seeks to respect an attacker. It's the practice of using assertive force. Consider our instinctive uh, reactions uh, to violence. When we're confronted, when we're threatened with harm, we freeze. Or we're hardwired with our physiological instinctive reactions of flight or fight. To uh, flee or fight. Are there other options? Rather than these two here, I want to have the proposed response of rather than uh, than fleeing, which can be a good thing uh, if we have an escape presents itself, or fighting, how can we use assertive force? By force, I mean the use of any form of power, whether it's psychological, social, even physical, to make something happen. Force, as the exercise of power by itself, is neither good nor bad. It's it's how you use it, your intent, the outcome um, in this situation. By force, I mean resisting uh, with assertively personal violence in a way that uh, uses, whether it's soul force or even physical force, this seeks to honor one's uh, and protect oneself, while at the same time of extending this uh, to the other. Of redirecting aggression, which is a basic principle in martial arts, of redirecting aggression away from self um, in a way that both parties come through safely. Or to frame it in another way, thinking of responses to violence, we often uh, assume that there are two responses. Uh, that is, you submit, you, you, you cower, you take what comes against you, or you strike back, you retaliate. The way of submission or the way of aggression. As you can see in the diagram here with submission, where we allow other to prevail over us. Where in aggression, we seek to counterattack that we prevail over other. The third way... Uh, drawing on, on the work of Walter Wink and his engaging the powers in the third way of Jesus is that really of assertiveness, of coming through where we are somehow joined together. Where we join together uh, the call of respecting self, respecting other, and that we act for the well-being of self and other in a way where we overcome violence uh, together. Rather than being submissive we can or aggressive, we can be assertive, uh, and following Wink um, and looking to the way of Jesus, uh, which is very important uh, for me, to think that uh, Jesus in his work, um, according to Wink, is, not, uh, is completely reinterpreting turning the other cheek, and you've probably been exposed to his teachings, I won't go into that here. What Jesus is uh, not talking about is assault, but rather humiliation by a, someone in a person in a position of power. And that while Jesus teaches us not to retaliate against violence, um, he does not teach us to capitulate to violence either. That when submissive, we allow violence uh, to continue. When we're counter-aggressive, we typically escalate violence. And so really the call is to be assertive where we come in this together. The peace activist uh, uh, Barbara Deming offers the metaphor of the two hands of nonviolence. And the way I picture it with one hand, uh, we say stop. Uh, Stop what you're doing, I will resist this, and with the other hand, I respect you as a person. Responding with the two two hands of nonviolence is a form of what's called moral jujitsu, as one person described it. In jujitsu, the violent uh, actions of another don't work, and you cause them to lose control. Meanwhile, the resistor uh, uh, is in a position more of safety, of balance, and moral high ground. And hopefully this prompts a sense of wonder in the mind of an aggressor. In our training and our work with women, uh, such as we will do this Wednesday evening here on campus, we tell stories of the transforming power of nonviolence. Where there's the power of one's presence and the power of words that actually can uh, stop uh, violence. And we also recognize uh, that... Words don't always work to stop violence, and we go on to say, in this situation, what can you do? We tell stories of women resisting violence. For example, a very close friend of mine and a Mennonite colleague, Pastor, a graduate here of Goshen College, when she was on SST, was sexually assaulted. And when she's being sexually assaulted, she forcefully resisted. She asserted herself, so to speak, resisted the violence, and was able to escape uh, this attempted rape. Or coming back to the story of Beth Graybill, while working for Women's Concerns and thinking about peace theology with Mennonite Central Committee, herself was sexually assaulted in her own home at knife point. She describes how she tried to humanize uh, him, tried to engage him verbally, tried to show him respect to redirect his aggression. And when that didn't work and he came uh, upon her, uh, she physically resisted, was able to wrest the knife from his hand and rather than using the the knife against him, uh, threw it on the refrigerator and was able to run out of the house escape to safety. This man was eventually um, caught and convicted for his violent crime. So with one hand she is protecting herself, the other hand then she reached out to him in the process of restorative justice in the process of his sentencing. Or take the case of Mahatma Gandhi, Um, One day when a man man, um, ran into the kitchen and attacked his wife with a burning stick, what did this man, uh, the great peacemaker, this man committed to nonviolence do? He forcefully resisted the attacker, um, grabbing uh, the man, taking the stick away from him. In the process of doing this, the attacker actually crapped his robe. So here's an interesting illustration. On one hand, Gandhi forcefully resists, removing the weapon, and with the other hand, he helped claim the attacker's robe. The two hands of nonviolence um, held together. The power of nonviolence. Frankly, I have a hard time imagining what would Jesus do in a situation of personal or predatory violence. And so I think of uh, a devout follower of, of Jesus the great peacemaker Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, What did he have to say to the question? Upholding the way of nonviolence, uh, what did he teach on the what would you do question? He was asked this question and his response was to make a distinction between nonviolence and the cause of social demonstration and force that's used in self-defense. And he spoke of, of the commitment to agape or Christian love. And he was able to hold love and power together in the, with the two hands of nonviolence, so to speak. He said that love and power are not polar opposites, as often assumed. He said that love must be unger- um, undergirded with some form of coercive, constructive, coercive power, if needed. And this is what he said, that love is, is identified... Uh, the problem is when love is identified with resignation of power and power with a denial of love. He says what is needed is a realization that power without love is reckless and abusive and that love without power is sentimental and anemic. He says that love at its best is, is uh, where it implements the demands of justice and uses power. Um, and I would add safety. And he claimed that in their cause, he says, when the Negro uses force in self defense, he or she does not forfeit support. He or she may even win it by the courage and self respect that it reflects. And so, uh, as indicated, we um, have been trying to engage this question and put forward a model um, in the, the community. We describe ourselves as the other MMA. Um, of Mennonite martial arts, and what we're doing in our particular Mennonite martial arts is mixing uh, the way of martial arts uh, together with way of conflict transformation, taking from our peace church tradition and the martial arts tradition, bringing them together, for they share in common a commitment to nonviolence. Contrary to what you see in the movies of martial arts, um, action films, uh, martial arts really is about the, the way of peace and nonviolence. As Sensei Funakoshi, one of the founders of of karate said, the essence of karate is nonviolence. To subdue an attacker uh, without fighting is the highest skill he taught. Along with my uh, brother, uh, Phil Thomas, who teaches here um, from time to time, um, he and I were training with two other uh, members of our uh, congregation, Walnut Hillbendon Night Church, and training together in Taekwondo, and we recognized there was something here in this tradition that could be coupled with our peace church tradition and extended in the community and that gave rise uh, to a mission initiative uh, of forming uh, peacemakers. Here's a picture of our academy working with with an after-school program uh, with Goshen Community Schools, uh, training to prevent violence and uh, transform conflict and then having evening classes with, with adults and children. This is our attempt as Mennonite martial arts, so to speak of really uh, bringing these uh, traditions uh, together. In our uh, particular uh, uh, martial art of Taekwondo, a Korean art, it's interesting to note this code of conduct. If we hold these two hands of nonviolence and we grant that there's a place for physical assertiveness, the exercise of physical force to stop violence, what is it that controls or guides um, force? And so there is a code of conduct, so to speak, an oath of the masters, as this is called, uh, that you need to commit yourself to upon receiving your black belt. And it's simply this, avoid rather than block, block rather than strike, strike rather than maim, maim rather than kill, for all life is precious, nor can any be replaced. This is not something coming out of our Christian faith, but of this Korean martial art. The belief that all life is precious and that none can be replaced and because of this, and when confronted with real-world violence, here's a code of conduct that, that guides our use of force. We draw on the teachings of a Sensei Yesheba, the founder of Aikido, which he referred to as the art of peace. I consider some of these sample teachings to kind of get into the flavor of, of Aikido, uh, which he found is actually forming a form in culture of peace in Japan. The art of peace does not rely on weapons or brute force to succeed. The true meaning of samurai, he said, is one who serves and adheres to the power of love. Protect the attacker. To injure an opponent is to injure uh, yourself. To control aggression without injury is the art of peace. The art of peace is based on four great virtues, courage, wisdom, love, and friendship. Doesn't sound very martial-arty, does it? When you consider what you see in the movies, uh, but this comes from a man who is regarded in the martial arts world as one of the greatest martial artists in history, who, uh, who really took the essence of nonviolence and with his art to extend uh, this philosophy and way of peace. Aikido suggests non-lethal force to stop aggression uh, when it's necessary, when other options have failed and the code has been followed. Again, the code of where you want to avoid rather than blight. You, you avoid any physical altercation, if possible. And in which case, if Aikido, when it's, when it's engaging physical violence, seeks to, following its principles of restoration, uh, reconciliation, harmony, to blend with the aggression and to be able to restrain violence and to honor an attacker in a way that honors uh, the, the code. Let me back up and uh, say, what does this, might this look like um, in practice where we seek to protect self while honor others? So I want to have a little demonstration, so I want to invite uh, uh, Nick Peebles uh, to come forward. Um, Nick's father, uh, Tim, is another Mennonite martial artist. uh, Who's very engaged in missional work in Chicago, um, in their neighborhood where there's a lot of gang-related violence. Uh, Nick and his father uh, Tim, uh, PhD candidate at University of Chicago, and doing uh, ministry, really trying to extend our way of peace and nonviolence into their part of the world, in Chicago. I'm going to have to uh, Nick uh, help me with a demonstration. So let's see what it might look like. Where Nick is, as much come over here. Nick is in a role of aggressor. Okay. Um, Okay, say he does a collar grab attack, and this is when it gets up front and quite personal. In the case here, I might be really overwhelmed. I just, even though I saw this coming, I just got a shot of adrenaline through my legs. In a situation like this, we become adrenalized for that fight-flight reaction. I could cower, feeling overwhelmed by his violence and allow this to continue. I might want to, feeling really pumped up, want to stop this, and I could really bust him up and do something aggressive, I could do that to stop. Both his hands are on me, and there are all kinds of things that I, that I could do um, to, to stop his aggression against me, to protect myself. Most conventional self-defense courses would teach this. But why would I want to do this if there's another way? In this case here, he grabs me. I could simply do, bring him. I might bring him to this restraint right here, this armbar, and say, Nick, um, I don't want to do this, so we won't fight, I need you to stop. Causing a sense of wonder, what should he do in this situation, okay? Say he continues to persist and he wants to be violent. I could walk him down. I could hold him right here. And Nick, I said, I don't want to do this. And from here, I could, all kinds of things that I could do to injure him, okay? He started it, I'm going to finish it. If you try to resist, I could hold him in this position all day. Do I have him? Okay, okay, I got it, okay. And I can sit here and wait till help arrives, okay? Now, if it ends up right here, Nick has just been humiliated. He may have lost face, literally face on pavement or psychological uh, space. He hears you laughing. There's further, further humiliation or loss of face. So what I want to do, again, with the two hands of nonviolence, with one, I'm protecting myself, but I want to honor him, and I want to help him restore face, and I want to restore him to his feet. Hey, Nick, if I let you up, yeah, gonna, are we gonna continue this or can we find another way? Could we find another way. Yeah, let's find another Okay. So I'm gonna help him back up and I'm gonna create himself spaces. I know he can kick, he's got long legs and so I'm gonna be right here. Uh, so, in case he wants to follow it up with a, with a kick, okay? Uh, thanks, thanks, Nick. <clears throat> Just a practical uh, demonstration that that we like to do to demonstrate um, that you don't have to simply submit or counterattack, but there are options in in between. I like to use this as kind of a a metaphor of the power of nonviolence to stop violence, but in a way to respect, respect the attacker. Because if I would bust him up, or down, twist his arm a little bit further and inflict pain, cause injury, and leave him on the ground, especially if you, with bystanders, are laughing. What do you suppose he begins to think and feel? Hmm? Anger. And if it becomes uh, really angry and enraged. What will he want to do when he uh, gets back up? He'll want to strike back. It's about retaliation, about revenge. It might not be barehanded, but he might turn to his friends. It might be gang members. It might be a weapon. It's in my best interest to restore him. So it's not just a high-sounding spiritual ideal, the way of Jesus, but it makes practical sense that we find a way to engage aggression and violence in a way where another person is somehow honored and respected in the process to, as we say in our Peacemakers program, to kind of appeal to the nobler nature of the other. Rather than to leave the person humiliated, injured, and wanting to uh, strike back. We want to restore the attacker. Nick's father, Tim and I, we've constructed this this scale of force, or this continuum of of force. And this is what we'll be working with uh, Wednesday evening in our uh, Women's uh, Workshop, Resisting Violence, working through each of these. There's that of of zero force, as we would describe it, of submission, where you simply submit to attack. Too often we think, well, the other option is that of, of counter-attack, of level seven, that what we describe a maximal attack, where you're going for uh, really vulnerable areas of the body, maybe using weapons to inflict serious injury or even to, to use lethal force to cause uh, death. we're in between, as we pose here, we have at least these six uh, options. And we talk about our strong presence, the use of our voice, redirective uh, touch or restraint, just as I just demonstrated on Nick, or we maybe use minimum uh, uh, strikes to stun, or moderate strikes to create an opportunity to escape a situation rather than this all-out attack. And so this is how we frame it, wanting to show uh, that the, our response is much more complex uh, to the what would you do question. And there are many options, and we want to explore these um, on Wednesday evening in our workshop. For me, I draw the line between six and seven between moderate strikes and maximal uh, attack. That is the limited use of non-lethal force uh, uh, to protect from harm. But I admit this line gets a little fuzzy um, and it can easily move toward aggression. For less threatening threatening situations, uh, we teach uh, uh, techniques that can hurt but don't harm a simple pinch, you'll be surprised uh, what, what a simple pinch in a vulnerable area uh, could do. Pinch yourself in your thigh and, uh, and see what this is like. And when you are pinched like this in a surprising way, it's quite amazing uh, what this can do. In situations that are much more violent, more forceful, uh, we'll move from techniques that don't just hurt but can harm as a way of causing a stun, or maybe uh, such as a groin strike, a kick to the foot or or the knee. In some arts like judo and jujitsu, um, it's interesting they'll teach certain blood choke, constricting the carotid arteries in a careful way, so that an attacker actually loses consciousness and they're able to lay an attacker down um, in in a, in a safe way, protecting self in injury. Well, here's a question for you. So we think about the "what would you do?" question. If you're thinking of yourself in a situation where you were sexually assaulted, and say you would do a groin strike uh, to a male, is striking an attacker in the groin necessarily violent? For me, as I think about it, it depends how you define uh, violence. As I think about it in terms of one intent, as one, in terms of one's intent and one's desire and the outcome with the assailant, it may not be physically violent, but simply forceful. If we had more time to explore this in another setting, we can make some important distinctions uh, between uh, hurt and harm, uh, between assertive force, aggression, and violence. Some important terms uh, that can give us some handles on this. We could weigh a bruised testicle or a broken rib or a crippled knee against a completed rape or murder and the consequences not only of this for the victim, family, community, but also the perpetrator. And we could if we had more time explore the ethical value of not resisting personal violence. But I want to close with uh, the story of how I was confronted with a question in our own home. One time I used physical force and that is when uh, an extended family member uh, attacked my wife Linda. A graduate of here, who uh, this woman was uh, high on crack. When you're high on crack uh, you're more assaultive and you high, have a much higher threshold of pain. This person was out of control. I, uh, attacked my wife and I um, uh, took this person down to the floor and forcibly held her until we were able to dial 911 until the police and paramedics were um, able to arrive and to take her away, which was another form of force. With one hand we, I used coercive physical force to prevent violence in a way where no one was harmed, and then the next day we extended the other hand of loving care and respect to this family member by visiting her um, in the hospital. Um, and then when she was released, uh, we welcomed her back into our home and our relationship was restored. But suppose that this, uh, this woman, um, family, extended family member, used a knife, then what? I asked Linda, what would you want me to do in this situation, say, if this person were in the kitchen, out of control, and grabbed a knife? What would be um, the Christian thing to do in a situation like that? What would be the way of nonviolence in that situation? And I was interested in Linda's response, someone who's very gentle and peace-loving. She said, if it was necessary... She said she would uh, prefer that I go so far as to break this person's arm or wrist if that's what it took to stop uh, this attack. Uh, why? She said not just for her own safety, but for the safety of the family member who's out of control, because if she would have completed um, this attack, uh, she, being on parole, could have been uh, convicted of assault with a deadly weapon and gone back to prison and suffered more serious consequences. Or if we'd step it up, What if I were in a situation like uh, James uh, Miller was in when a violent stranger, someone unknown to me, uh, was attacking a family member? What then? What would I do? How far would I be willing to go? I would like to think that I would, thinking this is what I should do, follow the code that I presented in my training in knife self-defense to remove the weapon and stop the attacker. I'd like to think that I would use uh, just enough assertive force uh, to protect Lyndon to respect the attacker. But honestly, I can't say what I would do in that situation. Because in situations like that, when we're adrenalized and we're pumped up with that fight or flight reaction, uh, we're capable of something uh, very different. And here's where we need to be a little more realistic um, in understanding uh, defense against violence. You might be skilled in physical defense, but not be fully prepared for real-world violence. It's so overwhelming. Or I've heard persons who are so convicted that they said, I would never um, use physical force to stop an attack against uh, myself or others, but who in the heat of the moment, adrenalized as they are with that fight-flight reaction, are capable of violence. We all have that capacity. Um, to become violent, or to simply to cave in, to submit, or to attack. But part of the thing is to be we, we think more carefully. Uh, and as uh, someone described this work uh, yesterday in a conversation, it sounds like you're doing thoughtful self-defense. Kind of, I was interested in that description. How can we be maybe more thoughtful? Be more prepared. So if we should be in such a situation that we are more prepared in a way of honoring the way of peace in situations involving real violence. If you're interested in further exploring this, uh, I would simply uh, point to um, a workshop that I'll be doing with uh, GC men uh, tomorrow on exploring the warrior archetype. Uh, rather than thinking the warrior is just about uh, war and violence, how can we reclaim this uh, this energetic part of ourselves to serve and to protect to defend and to think about what that looks like to get into our bodies as this will be an experiential workshop and to think about the, the power we're capable of exercising and how to use that rightly. And then with uh, women um, here on campus, thinking about women resisting violence uh, this week, uh, the continuum of force that I just presented, we'll have our, our safety team from Peacemakers uh, and together with uh, Nick and some women from our academy come and we'll lead a workshop um, to actually explore what this looks like in our body. So thank you for your attention.
0: Thank you, Steve. I'm Quinn.
2: And I'm Allison.
0: And this is a little Q. And A. So, Allison, what are you doing this week?
2: Well, it's going to be a pretty busy week since it's Sexual Violence Awareness Week. There's a lot of activities.
0: Oh? What's that?
2: Well, Sexual Violence Awareness Week is a week full of activities that look at the issue of sexual violence. Um, different clubs on campus, like GSWA, um, SWA, PACS, ISC, SRC, GCBA, the Goshen College Bureau Association, and Campus Ministries will be hosting different events to educate the student body about sexual violence.
0: Wow. So, <laughs> what kinds of things will be happening?
2: Well, all right, let me tell you. You're already participating because this convocation is the first event of the week. Tonight, PAX Club is going to be hosting a candlelight vigil in Schrock Plaza after night class at about 9.30. Um, We're going to be gathering around the Clothesline Project and we'll feature songs and stories gathered by ISC and then we'll have times of silence to remember the victims and survivors of sexual assault all over the world.
0: Okay, so what is the Clothesline Project?
2: Well, the Clothesline Project is people who have been affected by sexual violence tell their stories on t-shirts, and the stories that are hanging on the t-shirts in Shock Plaza, those belong to past and present GC students.
0: So is that all, or is there more? Quinn,
2: we've only just begun. (laughs) Steve Thomas is going to be conducting two workshops this week. Um, And tomorrow, as he said, all men on campus are invited to Engaging the Warrior Men's Summit at 9 p.m. in Newcomer 17. And then on Wednesday, women are invited to women's safety training in uh, rec fit Room 104 at 8.30. And everyone should come dressed comfortably to these events.
0: So are you saying we can learn how to do all of that?
2: We can learn how to do all of that. Okay. Let's find that peaceful way.
0: All right. Well, I'm excited. What else is happening?
2: Well, on Thursday, g is going to be hosting Take Back the Night. I love Take Back the Night. Everyone is invited to Newcomer 19 at 9.30 after night class to briefly hear about what the Take Back the Night campaign and organization is like and what they work for. And then, after that, um, women are invited to walk on campus together to take back the night. They'll be singing as we walk around. It's a
0: great experience. All right, so is this all, or...? Not yet. (laughs) On
2: Friday, Emmaus Ministries in Chicago will be sharing their work with men in prostitution during chapel. Then, at 7.30 on that night, they're going to present more stories and songs from the streets in Humble Center.
0: Okay, that's a busy week.
2: That is, but I'm done now. So.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: But, um, well, everyone should know that you don't have to be in the clubs to attend these events, and you can attend as many or as few as you want. And also, um, last thing, on Friday, everyone is encouraged to wear purple and teal to spread um, awareness of sexual violence. And today, as you leave, we've got some purple and teal ribbons on the table up here that were provided by g um, There might not be enough for everyone, but if you want one and you don't get one, um, watch in Java or maybe um, in Westlawn, um, and there should definitely be more out in a basket, and feel free to take them. And so feel free to grab one um, and wear it this week to show
0: support. All right, well, that sounds like it's gonna be a fun week. Thanks, Alice. It's gonna Allison. be a fun week. <laughs>